0: let's just get started uh if you just heard a click on your phone and a slight drop in volume good morning mike
1: morning bob how you doing
0: bob? i'm good how about you this
1: morning <laughs> well I'm, I'm doing great <laughs> had to run up the gps yesterday. and this my wife's friend she ran into said uh, you, you wouldn't think it was world war <clears> three <throat> it well, just you, people are <laughs>
0: I I you know, haven't had the need to go to the grocery store in about a week now and I'm not looking forward to it but uh my engineer and I were talking about that this morning and uh I it's just I don't know you know it's it's I think it's one of these kind of mass panic things and granted we need to take some precautions i mean i wipe down the surface here in the studio and wipe down my my many buttons that i had to push here and wipe down the microphone with a with a good disinfecting wipe and uh but you know it's just uh i it's i just don't get the the seeming near panic that a lot of people are feeling but uh, you know that's Uh, Far be it for me to judge others, lest lest ye be judged, judge not, lest ye be judged. I just kind of scratch my head and say, what is all this about?
1: Yes, sir. And and there's another one of her friends was saying last night she was talking to it. You know, people would just slow down for a week or two. Then, you know, let's see where this thing's going and and what kind of handle. You know, we're going to have a handle on it and, uh, you know, just kind of. Kinda let things mellow out, but yeah, it's it. You know, there was no milk, no water, uh, no. You know, yep. I'm a big nut eater, and no nuts. It it, it was just, it was just crazy. Uh, I know, like and
0: I, I I was pleased, you know, to to hear that the good people in the world are still doing good things. I was, uh, you know, I felt so sorry when they canceled the Houston stock show and rodeo, all those kids that spent all the time raising their animals and things like that. Well, I understand a lot of the big contributors over there decided they were going to get together and do an online deal or something to be sure the kids still got money for their animals, that they got their scholarship money and things like that. I was so pleased. We had somebody from the Spurs front office in the nursery yesterday and, uh, you know, I, this hasn't been verified, but they were telling me that the Spurs are planning to pay all the concession workers at the AT&T Center that will be out of work for the next month at least, uh, but they're going to take their funds, their proceeds, to see that nobody really suffers from it. So there are a lot of good people in the yeah. world doing a lot of good things, and uh, we'll get through this, and uh, um, it, it's just, it's it's interesting to sit back and watch, and uh I just am yes, glad sir. to see that the majority of the people that we associate with are approaching it with caution rather than panic but I I'm, I'm like you I just kind of look around me and say you know where am I
1: <laughs> yeah well and you know on that note uh, with with the cake that the Spurs make I don't think it would hurt them one no why I,
0: I <laughs> totally agree with that but as as I told somebody else it yeah, it, it's not. They don't have to do it, but they are doing well, it. No, and I just,
1: no, no, yeah. no, no, not at all. But, 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 I think, I think, in 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 a panic, or are you not in a panic? But in this, in, in, in a situation like this, uh, you know, more more of them, more of them should step up, and I'm sure we'll yeah. see. So, well, of that as they and, say, as and they and say, the
0: cream rises about, to the top.
1: Yes, sir. My, you know, my, you talking about Houston? My youngest daughter was in four H and everything. Uh huh. You know, all of all of our younger years, and and yeah, it's a it's a it's a big big deal, and those folks have, have, have got huge hearts. Anyway. Oh yeah, but, yeah. Uh,
0: well, let's uh, move on to anyway, gardening, Mike. What's going on in your yeah, world this yeah, morning? I've
1: got I've got I've got three things, Bob. Um, I purchased yesterday since I've you know got one lone little nursery out here. Uh some rock phosphate and i called and talked to wendy for a second she mm-hmm. said it would be fine all they had bob was the now i'm i'm used to the powder you know yeah, putting yeah. in my yeah but no the powder.
0: granular granular stuff will work just fine
1: okay okay and, and that's what we had talked about okay uh secondly you know i'm i'm overwhelmed with with seedlings that i started at as an example bob how many how far apart can i You know, put those tomatoes, and you know I've got a couple little blight issues from years past Mm -hmm. and whatnot. But but how you know how I'm trying to squeeze as many in there. I've I've gained a new granddaughter. Okay, they they they, they eat them like candy.
0: Oh, isn't that a good Uh, thing to see? I tell you what I do. Um, is I plant basically two to a hole, two to a cage, a whole, yeah. and yeah, but yeah, then I'm, I'm gonna sure. and I'm doing something different as an experiment this year. You know, I usually have my cages almost touching. Uh, this year, yeah, I've spread here, the cages way here. out, and I'm gonna mix my peppers and my eggplant in among my tomatoes. Because, quite frankly, I realized, hey, I was just, you know, having a crowded mass of tomatoes. And when the stink bugs and things showed up, it was just very easy to walk from one plant to the next. So um, the, yeah, the, the, issue is, the issue is not water or nutrition. It's the issue of light. If they get to the point they're shading sure. each other sure. out. But I just, sure. I, I just simply spread my cages a little further apart and put some of my other crops in between my tomatoes. So I would do that as far as possible.
1: Well, I got plenty of peppers going here, so yeah, 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 yeah man. I, yeah, you know, and I, I thought about that before, and, and, and you know, I've, I've grown small stuff, flowers and whatnot in between, uh-huh. but yeah, that, that's great. Okay, Bob. Uh, thirdly, uh, somebody gave my wife a plant. Okay, it is a sage. I'm, I'm looking for the. I've got it. I've got it right here. The scientific name, Bob. It is. It's a blue blue sage,
2: low growing
1: sage. Uh huh. flower carpet cyanolopsis, I think mm-hmm. is the name. Yep. Yeah. So how however you say it. Uh, what can you tell me about that plant, Bob?
0: Low growing, beautiful plant, usually perennial, especially over in your area, it's going to be perennial. It wants a lot of sun. Uh, but okay. intense if it's the if it's the variety that I'm familiar with, it's gonna be uh, a blue and white um flower and just absolutely gorgeous
1: okay okay but but uh full full sun right yes I mean, still I full got, sun oh yeah full sun a and, and you know different areas were saying too much sun was bad for it okay so full sun that's basically what i needed to know bob
0: so, very
2: good
1: oh uh, I don't know where it'll goes. along with my cornflowers that came by from last year. I started to see that. I was kind of surprised, uh, you know, in pots. Uh-huh. Everything came by. Of course, well, it wasn't that bad. So. Yeah,
0: well, wow, you're Bob, a good gardener to take care of them, and you do it organically, Mike. So, listen, you get out and have a good weekend. We will talk again, and I'll say good morning to A.J. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I
3: I need some I need some professional ciphering this morning.
0: Well, I don't know if you've come to the right place or not, but I'll do my best.
3: Well, I've heard you explain it before. If you're going to use a hose-in sprayer to apply molasses uh-huh. to the yard, how how do you go about mixing the uh, liquid to put into that container on the hose-in sprayer?
0: Okay, um, that's an excellent question, and it's certainly worth going over again. My concern is always is uh is that molasses going to be too thick to go easily through the sprayer so uh, where I'll mix it with water uh, yeah but but anyway, so uh most of these sprayers these days um you know you just you put the molasses in and set it for how you want it to mix, but if I wanted to you know have molasses coming out at the rate of about a tablespoon per gallon, which is my usual mix but I figure that's that's a little bit too strong. I would take that molasses either and mix it 50-50 with water and then set my sprayer for two tablespoons per gallon, or I would mix it uh, three parts water to one part molasses, would really thin it down real good. But then I just, and then I would set my sprayer for four tablespoons per gallon. And I, the bottom line is, you know, doing the arithmetic is I'm still getting one tablespoon per gallon as it comes out of the end of the sprayer. So what I usually do is mix about three parts water for every one part of molasses. And mine mine is a quart sprayer. So I'm putting, you know, like a, a pint and a half of, or just over a pint and a half of water into the sprayer. I'm adding about one part molasses for every three parts of water, and then I'm just setting the dial on top of the sprayer for four tablespoons per gallon, and everything works perfectly.
2: All
3: righty. That, that answers my problem here. I mean, my situation.
0: You say, yeah. Yeah, we got to get the nomenclature correct here. And uh, and I I hope all of your situations today are as easy to deal with as that one. All right, Bob. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. Appreciate the call, as always. Next up is James. Good morning, James.
4: Morning, Bob. How you well, doing? Well,
0: I'm doing well this morning. How about you?
4: <laughs> oh, I'm getting around pretty good for an old guy.
0: Well, I don't know what you know about that, but uh, older. Let's just put it that way. Always, always put it in relative terms.
4: Are you guys talking about the mo- feed-grade molasses that Skylar delivers?
0: Um, you,
4: or the stuff that comes out of a jar at the HEB store?
0: Well, you know, the stuff that Skylar delivers has some other things in it that uh, you may or may not like. I don't have a problem with urea, but um, well. you've got a little bit more in Skylar stuff that I think is pretty much all beneficial for the plants. But... The main thing we're doing with molasses is stimulating those microbes, and so uh, it could apply to either kind of molasses, in my opinion.
4: Oh, okay. Yeah, I use it with uh, the Medina product, the soil activator.
0: Yeah, I do the same thing. I just, you know, figure I'll bump it up a little bit. Uh, Stuart put so many good things in there, but uh, I think a little extra dose of molasses is not a bad thing, and so, yeah, I do exactly what you do.
4: Well, the Purple Martins came back. The, oh, good. The bats came back to the bat house. So I, I, I watch them come in and, and fly out. That's uh-huh. always exciting to see the little animals come back in the spring.
0: Oh, it's always fun. Have you got any hummingbird shed, or do you put out hummingbird feeders?
4: Well, um, the hummingbird showed up to the feeder, but I need to go out and put some some more uh, uh sugar water in it but yeah. I, yeah I got common birds out here it's uh it's springtime it
0: must be spring i guess uh between bats martins and hummingbirds uh, all the indications are there
4: the uh, I wanted to tell you the other day um malcolm told us that uh organic growers uh take better care of the land because uh they need to have more land um they need to uh, cover crop and uh, and then their, their cash crop at the at the same time. Well, so you need more land uh, to do your cover crop and you know your your cash crop.
0: Well, it's turned out that if you're doing it right, that's just not true. That's and and you know Malcolm told me the same thing. But um, I have a great deal of respect, and I've met a bunch of them. Jeff Moyer and his staff up at the Rodale Institute up in Pennsylvania. And they, in doing their experiments, they're not like a backyard garden. They're doing their experiments on a two hundred acre plot, and they are showing that with good organic techniques, you can produce as much or more of a given crop, whether I think they've done wheat, uh, corn, and maybe barley. But uh, I know there are three crops that they've done so far, and they have shown they're showing that they get just as many bushels just as many pounds just as many whatever unit of measurement you want to use they get just as much off of their land as the as the uh, uh more traditional farmer does using all the things we don't like next door and the other thing uh, with the corn in particular they found they were producing as much or more corn but they were getting six times as much money for it as the as the um guy next door and this is up, um, oh, it's, it's outside of uh, Allentown, Pennsylvania. And uh, at the time that, uh, and this was about a, two years ago, I was up there, but uh, Jeff was saying that his uh, commercial guys, his uh, standard guys next door, were getting $2 a pound for their, or $2 a bushel for their corn, and uh, they were getting $12 a bushel for their organic corn. So the research out there is saying that if you do it right, it doesn't take any more land at all.
4: Yeah, that's what that was one of my questions this morning. What I do is uh, I'm a big fan of a full season cover crop. Uh huh. And Sudan um, is a real good full season cover crop, but you have to you have to keep it shredded down. I was
0: going to say, as long day. as you keep it mowed down, that's exactly right.
4: So. Um, the co- the full season cover crop last year is going to receive tomatoes this year, and mm-hmm. that and it's it stays fallow over the winter, mm-hmm. and you, you deal with any weeds that come up. So it makes a really clean uh, uh, planting bed. Yes, sir. Uh, if you do it that way, mm-hmm. now's I think is a pretty good time to plant the Sudan. I planted uh, cover crops yesterday. I planted iron and clay. Uh, Cowpeas on some rows, and then the Sudan on other rows. Mm-hmm. The the iron and clay is is not gonna. It's just gonna grow, and then we're gonna mow that down, and then we'll plant Sudan and go into maybe November, December with it.
0: Sounds like a plan.
4: But the full season cover crops. It's it's hard for me to believe how much. Uh, organic matter that sudan puts down into the growing beds after it's all over it's it's really amazing on how it uh, it uh, fluffs up the soil and Mm -hmm. puts puts the organic matter down and i'd like to encourage the the bigger gardeners to to think about a, a sudan cover crop i i cut it down with a the little yellow wings on the steel weed eater, right? You know, right. when he gets about three or four foot tall, yeah. I just weed eat it down uh-huh. and then fill it at the end of the season.
0: Well, and that's what you have to do. Sudan is one of those big things. Uh, uh, it's not a full siemens it's in cover crop. But if you're if you grow on one of the clovers or things like that, you know, it's not so big. And up north, up where they're experiment, they call them smother crops rather than cover crops because they smother so much of the weed material out. But uh, oh, yeah. you just have to look at what you're using. If it's going to be a big plant, you, you just have to keep it uh, shredded down one way or another. And, yeah, steel makes a, a real good line and, of course, a real good line trimmer to put it in. And they're just there, you know, there are lots of different options. But every every gardener's got to figure out what works best in his or her garden. You
4: know, smother crop is a good word. Uh I've been reading up on the Sudan, and it's got the different chemicals in it that mm-hmm. are that are her, herbis, herbicides. Uh huh. And besides smothering the weeds, it also um, they've done the research. It it mines the subsoil. Mm-hmm. If you if you cut it right and keep it cut down, the the roots actually go down about fourteen, sixteen inches. Yeah. And that's another good thing uh I don't know if you guys out in the Sandy Loam need that, but we sure need it over here in the blacklands
0: well, and up in our you know mixtures of stuff where I live up in bernie we we have basically a hard black soil if you're lucky and caliche if you don't, but absolutely the the more The deeper your root structure goes, the more material you're taking in the way of organic material into the soil because those roots are bleeding off carbohydrates. And maybe even more importantly, they're creating channels for oxygen to get deeper down into the soil, which is going to support your microbial life, which is probably the most beneficial thing at all creating that crumb structure of the soil with the things your bacteria produce. So yeah, anything with a deep root system is uh, uh, that it is controllable. Like, like Sudan is, is certainly going to overall create a soil improving uh, situation. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent.
4: I like to plant it with the little uh, push planter. It's real, Mm -hmm. it's real simple. And uh, you know, maybe you could, if you wanted to do something like that, you could borrow one from a friend, but it's, it's really an easy cover crop, and uh, that weatherman said it's going to rain all week, so...
0: I'll believe it when of, I see it.
4: <laughs> we got it planted.
0: Excellent. Well, James, it's always a pleasure, and I do always appreciate you sharing with what you're doing and then coming back and telling us how it works. So you get out and have a good uh, week. And,
4: those, go ahead. On those, on those tomatoes... Um, we grow a big beef indeterminate at three feet spacing, and it pretty much fills in the 125-foot the rows. It's Three foot is about right for us, but I don't know if that worked for, for you guys.
0: Everybody has to, like I say, figure out what's going on in their own garden. And I hear some of the farmers' markets are shut down, so you better be ramping up your production because you're going to be busy out there, Marion. So... All right, back to the phone lines. We're going to talk to Ben and Steve and Robin and Anna. Ben's up first. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, morning, uh, sir. I've got a quick, quick question on some fig cuttings. Yes, sir. I took uh, some fig cuttings off a
3: tree, uh, put them in water with a little root hormone, and they spotted roots. Ended up transplanting them to some little peat pots. Okay, and they seem to be doing really good. And Sprouting really nice leaves, but every now and then one of the leaves will turn black around the
4: edges. Mm -hmm. I wonder what that might be.
0: Well, um, let's back up to the problem with rooting things in water. Um, Plants form a different, totally different root in water than they do with soil, and when those cuttings are transferred over to soil, that root system that developed in the water slowly dies, And the plant starts all over making roots that are adapted to soil. So yours are just making what is always a slow transition from a water root to a soil root. If in the future you will root in a medium such as perlite, the white volcanic material, or even good coarse clean sand, a fig cutting or any other cutting will develop the same sort of roots that it would develop in soil, and it doesn't go through that bit of shock, and uh, your figs are going to grow out of it, but just what is happening, much as I hate to say it, is those roots that grew in the water are all dying, and the plant is gradually replacing them with roots that are more uh, you know, suitable for soil growth. And anytime you see anything happening on the margins of the leaf, on the edges of the leaf, you've got something going on with the roots. And in that case, in this case, that's what it is. So wouldn't be concerned, but uh, those figs are going to be a little bit slower to take off and get started. They will catch up, they will turn into robust plants. But do your cuttings in perlite or sand in the future, and you'll totally avoid that issue. Your cuttings will take off and grow a whole lot faster. And uh, good, clean perlite, good, clean sand are both free of the pathogens that would cause your cuttings to rot. So uh, very, very acceptable and very, very good rooting media.
3: How long do I leave them in the peat pots before I put them in the ground?
0: Well, I have to tell you, I'm not a big fan of peat pots because okay. uh, even though they start to break down, you know, I've bought vegetables in peat pots before. I pull them up at the end of the season, and those roots are still trying to make their way through the peat pots. So oh. what I would do in the case of your cuttings is I'd give them about a month or so to, you know, develop a good root system. But when I get a plant that has been... uh started in a peat pot, I take my thumb and I peel that uh, compressed peat away from the root system, uh, and they sure take off and grow more quickly. Every now and then you'll get something that's got so many roots embedded in the peat pot that you just hate to peel it off, and in that case, I just pinch the whole bottom out of the thing and plant it. So uh, um, if you want to use a little Preformed pot like that, they actually make something. Uh, actually, we were just talking to our friend James that he brought to my attention. They call it a cow pot, and it is actually compressed cow manure, and it breaks down. It does not have the problem with the root restriction that uh, the pressed peat does. So um, if you want a little pot to transfer it into other than a plastic pot, which is what your commercial growers use, look for what they call a cow pot that's compressed cow manure. But with what you already have growing in the peat pot, just let it go till you feel like they've got a halfway decent root system. But as you plant, just take your thumb and kind of peel that compressed peat moss off the side and your fig tree will get off to a lot better start.
3: So when I have some that already have a good number of leaves uh-huh. that aren't aren't black on the edge, uh, should I put them in a larger pot for a temporary time, or should just they go straight in the ground?
0: I'd go straight in the ground with them. If this was okay. January, I'd be putting them in a bigger pot. But uh, chances of our getting a really hard freeze are very, very low. We may get some more frost. We get may get some more weather that might nip them slightly. But let's face it, a fig is a vigorous plant. You cannot picky plant that's much easier to grow assuming that you have sun, water, and the room for it to take off. So, man, I'd be getting those things in the ground as quickly as you can. Okay, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. Great questions. Thanks for the call. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. Have one open line, by the way. If you've been getting a busy signal, you can dial right now 210-599-5555. We're going to talk to Steve and Robin and Anna, and Steve is up first. Good morning, Steve. Guys, you got to be listening to your telephone, not to your radio, because uh, you'll be several seconds late. So, Steve, I'll come back to you, but please have that ear, your phone uh, up to your ear. And let me talk to Robin first. Good morning, Robin.
5: Good morning, Bob.
0: Good morning.
5: Uh, quick question for you. Uh, yes. When is the best time to prune back pyracantha?
0: Pyracantha here's the deal with Pyracantha it blooms in the spring and then it makes berries and has berries in the fall so most spring blooming things we say wait till they're through with the spring bloom and then do your pruning but with pyracantha and with hollies with other berry producing things there's never really a good time because if you prune too early you're cutting away the flower buds if you prune after that you may be taking away from uh you know the number of berries you got on your pyracanthas so what i do is I like to prune pyracantha while it it is in bloom. And that way, I can leave the limbs that have the most flowers and therefore are going to have the most berries. I can cut away the limbs that uh, you know have fewer flowers, and therefore I can oh. keep the plants back kind of in check. Now, you're just pruning to shape your pyracantha. You're pruning for your convenience, and not for the trees or not for the plant's health or anything like that. So berry-producing plants, I like to prune them while they're in bloom. That way I can take away the limbs that have the fewest flowers, and therefore I'm not really impacting my berry production. Does that make sense?
5: Yes, and I, I, I think I read somewhere that it bloomed on second-year wood.
0: It blooms on last year's wood, so to speak. The the flowers that you're seeing this spring, or we'll see very shortly, is the wood that grew last fall. So um, you will sh- be seeing flowers on your pyracantha probably within the next two weeks if you haven't seen them already, and that'll be the time to get your pruning shears out.
5: What happened was uh, the yard men came
2: mm-hmm.
5: and just met the them. They yep. were, I mean, I have limbs that are you know two inches wide and just chopped off and it's it's just terrible looking (laughs)
0: well you know you've you've sacrificed a lot of flowers i think i would very definitely find a new yard man if he has no more sense than that but um um you have not you've not hurt the plants long term you've taken away some of the beauty that you could have enjoyed uh this summer and fall but the plants are going to yeah. come right back out for it they're probably going to be thicker than ever because they're not going to be carrying the burden so to speak of developing all those berries uh next year's probably going to be twice as pretty as anything you've ever had before so there is you know it's not the end of the world it's uh Um, I, I just have a problem with stupidity (laughs) and if people would just ask before they do things, but that's a whole nother subject. But anyway, your plants are going to be okay, but there's no way you can get them back. You're probably going to have at least a few berries on the limbs that he or she missed in their overzealous pruning, but, um. Um, it's, it's unfortunate, but like I say, you haven't really hurt the plants. The plants are probably going to be prettier long-term, but you're going to have to enjoy your neighbor's pyracantha for this fall.
5: Oh boy. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, I want to tell you, I've had lots of monarchs coming through the yard, which Uh I'm thrilled about, I guess about for two weeks now.
2: Oh, wow. I see
5: a monarch. Yeah. Almost every day. We're in Converse. Uh-huh. Up there on the northeast side, yeah, but well, haven't had a hummingbird yet. And I've had my feeders out now. This is the second week.
0: Well, if you're but like no me, hum- yeah, just just keep a small amount of nectar in the feeders because you do need yeah. to keep changing it. Yeah. But uh um right. some places they're back. Same with the way with purple martins. Some people have their martins back. uh Some of them mm-hmm. haven't shown up, so I think they're kind of. Coming in, in more of a straggly fashion than they usually do, but they will get here. And uh, sounds like you're doing everything right to provide for them.
5: Yeah, well, it's fun. Sure, it's fun. Okay, well, thank you, and thank you so much for your program. You do such a wonderful service for well, us all.
0: It's just I I want to keep you from making all the mistakes I've made over the years. So <laughs> it's a great oh, pleasure God. to be here, Robin. You get out and have a good week. Thank okay, you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. All right. Next up is Anna. Good morning, Anna.
6: Hey, hi Bob, Great. Well,
0: Ohio. Yes indeed, where spring is uh on the way, but probably not you not quite as uh not quite as evident out in the garden as it is down here.
6: Yeah, well we had spring about two days ago. Now there's snow on the ground again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you're the one that moved back to the north, not me. So uh I uh It certainly makes you appreciate uh, what the the benefit of having a long growing season, but you kind of got to be where you have to be.
6: That's true. That's true. And I like being where I am.
0: They're very
2: good.
6: Um, We're going to try and get ahead of the game this time on that uh, pond scum that's in our pond. I Mm -hmm. remember uh, last year, the year before, you suggested doing the cornmeal. Right. we have so much more access to the crack corn or the corn chops, whatever you call it. Uh-huh. Uh, do you think that would work as well as the ground corn?
0: It will work. It probably won't work quite as well because, of course, uh, um, you're, you, all you're getting all you're, the benefits you're getting from cornmeal is just uh, increased surface area. But crack corn has more surface area than whole corn does, so. The corn works against algae. It's not the trichoderma that grows on the corn like we use for combating oak wilt and many fungal diseases. In this case, the cornmeal seems to tie up the excess of potassium in the water, which the algae really, really needs. So um, I if you don't have access to cornmeal, uh, I think the, your cracked corn or corn chops would be uh, would be the second best substitute.
7: Okay,
6: okay. Sounds good.
0: And how Alrighty. how big is how big is your pond, Anna?
6: It's uh, oh goodly, probably a football field.
0: Yeah, uh, you know if it were smaller, if it were you know really small, a lot of people are having really good luck using uh, concentrated hydrogen peroxide yeah. as an algae controller. But yeah, that's a little bit too big to do that. The nice thing about the peroxide is uh, you're not going to bother your fish, you're not going to bother other things. Uh, so it's it's not like using some chemical cornmeal's still the best option, but um if you find it doesn't do the job, just that there's one other option out there that you could try at some point in the future
6: okay, okay. We'll do the cornmeal first if that doesn't work then we'll we'll uh research that uh. I know Howard Garrett has talked about the hydrogen peroxide.
0: Right, in the super concentrated form. Dr. Kirby and I were actually talking about it a couple of days ago. Uh, He's used it uh, in his uh, big water feature that he has in his backyard very successfully and Mm -hmm. um, without bothering his fish at all. So it's just one more option that's out there. The other thing that probably the type of algae you're dealing with is probably not going to be an option. But one thing that we sometimes do in uh, this part of the country is we actually use a dye, fluorescein dye or one of the safe dyes that simply makes the water darker. And when you don't get the sunlight into the water, you don't get the algal growth. So that's still another thing that they do in some areas to retard algae. But uh, fastest, cheapest, easiest for me is still cornmeal. I'm just telling you about some other options.
6: Do you think any of those other options would harm frogs or crawdads?
0: No, I don't think it bother them a bit.
6: Okay. Yeah, I hadn't. I didn't know about the darkening the water. Mm-hmm. That might be an option, too. Yeah. Okay, very good. Thank you much.
0: Have a good day. All right, let's get back to gardening here. It looks like it's going to be Dave and, uh, actually, it's going to be William first, and then it's going to be Dave and Terry and Don. Uh, so good morning, William. Good morning, sir. How are you, sir?
8: I'm great. Um, I have a
4: quick question. Uh, We have a backyard. I believe it's Bermuda grass. Um, We have a couple dogs, so they've worn it down quite a bit. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you have a recommendation for... Either a type of grass or a grass alternative that's uh, low maintenance and can handle a lot
8: of traffic from pets walking <laughs> around back there.
0: Well, Bermuda's about the toughest grass out there as far as foot traffic. And uh, the best of the best of the Bermudas is the what they call Tiff Green or Tiff Way, which is what you see on golf greens and all. But big dogs are going to wear out anything. I find that, you know, dogs tend to be creatures of habit, they tend to run the same areas and I would recommend putting down either a mulch trail or better still, use something like decayed granite. Uh, decayed granite stays in place. It looks nice. It's not hard on the puppy's feet, and uh, it, it basically what it amounts to is giving them their area that they usually run. Sometimes it's backed by a fence where they can run back and forth, you know, where people are going up and down an alley, or sometimes it's just the shortest place but, you know between point a and point b but you've got probably the best grass you can get you can improve it of course by very regular fertilizing by being sure that you're watering it weekly during the summer months but um i, I guess what i would say is do everything you can to maintain your grass but if it's practical uh give the dogs a little more solid surface to run on because they're always going to wear grass down
4: I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: And let me let me tell you one more thing. If you want if you get really serious about it and you know, I have the pleasure sometimes of visiting different botanical gardens around the country and all <laughs> Excuse me, a cold lingering from last week, but uh there are some materials they are oh it's kind of like a it's almost like a rubbery plastic-like material that can be sprayed onto mulch or sprayed onto decayed granite. It doesn't make a hard surface, but it turns it into a more matte like surface that uh, simply doesn't wash away, doesn't float away, and yet it's real comfortable and real easy to walk on. It's certainly a little more pricey than just putting down, you know, the good mulch or whatever. But, um, if, if this is a real, as AJ would say, situation and your family's demanding that you do something, uh, a little bit more permanent, talk to somebody like, uh, oh, one of the good folks out at Stone and Soil Depot about some of these materials that they use. I guess you just call them a stabilizer. And somebody like Courtney out at the I 10 location or, uh, Oh, there's a lady I can't see her name that runs the one over on uh, on 1604. There are some things that you can make it a much more durable surface without actually going to the trouble of, you know, concrete or something like that that's gonna crack and be more of an issue long term.
4: Uh, and just a quick question, what about Lake Clover? I've looked into clover, but no. I don't know if that's I'll clover.
0: About- clover is a wintertime plant only and uh, it wears extraordinarily uh, easily. It's uh, You'd have a mud pit if you tried to use clover.
4: I appreciate the advice. Thank you.
0: Always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's try to get Dave in here before the news break. Good morning, Dave. Hey, good morning, Bob. Good morning.
9: Uh, I'll, I'll make two comments, and then uh, a third thing I'd like to talk about, brown patch. We have an oak tree, a red oak Uh, probably 10 a foot in diameter about 35 feet tall okay last last fall the top six feet of it um turned turned red and basically dropped its leaves before the other leaves even thought about turning green Mm -hmm. this spring um the opposite the reverse has happened the whole tree is leafed out and now the top six feet is, is is leafing out um have you ever have any idea what's going on there
0: you know, I've seen it happen with the lightning strike. Um, it's possible, but not real likely. Uh, you know, it can be an issue with insects, something like boars in the top of the tree. But I have to say, um, you know, or it can be a girdling issue. You know, squirrels could have done some damage to the bark on the top of the tree that has made it both quicker to drop its leaves and slower to uh Put them out in the spring, but I have to say, lightning's the most common thing, and it is much more common than most people realize.
9: Good chance of recovery.
0: Oh yeah, outstanding okay. and chance of recovery.
9: All right. Second thing. Uh, last September, I probably had I don't know eight yards of uh, compost uh, delivered. It and dropped it in a in a right of way in front of the house, and I spread most of it. Now, I thought I'd spread it in September, the weather didn't cooperate, so sure. most of it was spread in. October. Uh-huh. The rest of it stayed there till probably January, uh-huh. and, then, and then I just moved it because I didn't want it in the front yard anymore. Sure. Um, but right now, I've got an 8, 10-by-10 10 10 circle where nothing is growing. Um, so I don't know if I've discovered a way to eradicate uh, weeds, or if I've totally ruined that spot no, around, it. you've
0: just uh, you've taken out what was there. You be patient with it. Three or four weeks from now, everything's going to grow back in just fine.
9: Is that an effective? I, I've got an area in my backyard that's got all kinds of junky weeds, grass.
0: Stuff uh, let's just say vinegar and orange oil would do the job a whole lot cheaper and easier. Um, you've just, you've just smothered it down. I, I've done that and had things like Bermuda grass that actually came all the way up through that two foot pile of mulch. It just took six months to do it, but, uh, yeah. I, I don't think it's a practical way to do it.
9: Well, let me just say, first of all, when I had to cut down that, uh, 40 foot post oak, I went to Phoenix and got a cypress and a ginkgo and boy, they're popping all over the place. right Oh yeah. Really Good trees. Really. Really nice specimens. Um, the brown patch. I I talked to you about it maybe six weeks ago. It started with five gallon bucket size and then spread. And then I, I applied the corn meal. What I did not do was come back and do it ten days later. Um, so I've I've done I've applied it again a second a second time and now a third time ten days later. But man, in forty years I have never seen this stuff before. And and uh, that five gallon buckets probably. Five feet in diameter. I did stick some stakes in the ground again to see if it's mm-hmm. continue, continuing to grow. But man, that's. Um, uh, is there anything I can do to hasten its recovery?
0: I would, uh, if you haven't already fertilized, I'd go ahead and fertilize again. I might go with uh, a fast acting liquid like Medina's Has to Grow Lawn product. Don't get it on anything but the grass. But uh this will, uh, you know, anything fertilizer-wise will speed up the recovery of the grass. Problem with bram patch, kind of like it is with grub worms, the damage has spread a lot further than the visible evidence of it so that even when you go in and stop the problem, the grass that has been affected is still going to turn brown and look very, very bad. So um, I suspect that you have totally arrested it. But you're seeing symptoms show up that were there that just hadn't appeared beforehand. But the the damage was already done. So uh, I think you you should have turned the corner on it by now. And it's just getting that the, your existing grass to regrow, and uh, nothing like fertilizer to make that happen.
9: Okay, it, we did we did fertilize it already. Uh, and what'd you say a liquid something?
0: Well, if you wanted to use. Uh, Uh, Medina makes a liquid to grow product specifically for grass. It's a little stronger. It's substantially higher in nitrogen than the basic to grow plant is. And uh, it probably would speed the regrowth up a whole lot more quickly. I mean, your grass is going to recover regardless. But um, if you just, you know, if you say, well, it's got to be beautiful by Easter, I might think about getting, and you can buy it in a ready to use uh, in a sprayer, already ready to put on the end of the hose. But you might consider at least one application if you have to grow lawn.
9: Okay, and and when does this stuff start to do its nasty work? in, in the in the fall, certain. It's kind of when
0: we start getting, when we have cool nights and warm days. That's what stimulates the. Uh, Rhizoctonia is the uh, scientific name of the disease, but uh, cool nights and warm days, and whenever that starts happening, that's when we start seeing the brown patch show
9: up. And what when, when that starts happening, can anything be done to prevent it?
0: Well, what I would do is probably in September, I would go ahead and uh, just use dry cornmeal, put out in the area that you've had the brown patch this year, because it frequently shows up in areas where it's been before. So I'd just be proactive. I'd uh, I'd be putting out an application of cornmeal preventatively about a month before we'd normally be seeing it.
9: Which would be? September,
0: September normally, uh, mid-September. All
9: right. All, all right, right, sir. Thank you very much.
0: Good questions. I appreciate the call. All right. Uh, let's see here. Yeah, it's Terry and Don and Ray are my next three callers. Good morning, Terry.
10: Morning.
0: How are you? I'm good. How about yourself?
4: I'm doing okay. Saw a hummingbird this morning. So very good.
0: Back. It's spring. Is spring is just about to arrive big time? If it's not already here.
4: Mesquites are budding, but the
0: pecan hasn't. Uh, And that's, uh, yeah, I don't trust those mesquites. They've lied to me before, but, yeah, I'm I'm with you. Pecans are the trees that I think tell the truth most often, and uh, my pecans are not even thinking about budding, so uh, take it for what it's worth.
4: Well, I'm out here in Utopia. Yes, sir. And I'm uh, building a raised bed garden Uh because I live on 30 acres of rock.
0: Yeah, uh, <laughs> yes, sir. I
4: can't seem to find any garden soil close by, you know, that would cost me a small fortune to have delivered. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thinking if I can get topsoil, i was thinking of mixing my own.
2: That's uh, fine, yeah.
4: Unless you know someone in the area or someone out there knows someone, you know, close to Utopia that would deliver. Because my trailer only holds about a yard, so yeah. I can't do that.
2: no,
0: that's that's going to eat you up. I'd I just go ahead – Uh, Your only real issue with topsoil is you need to increase your organic material and you're going to be dealing with some weeds. But other than that, uh, Mother Nature, you know, just takes soil and improves it slowly over time you can speed up the process. If you have have access to decent topsoil, go with that, and then just add a couple inches of compost to the top and blend it together. You'll use a little bit of extra fertilizer the first couple of years as you build up the organic material in the soil, but um, no, I, you know, that's one of the the disadvantages to being fairly remote is that you don't have uh, quite such ready access and does, you know, get more expensive to have things delivered, but um i i would just take your topsoil and just work on improving it
4: okay and then one more question uh bees cuts a lot of trees along the power lines and uh-huh so give you all the cedar uh you want you know chopped up so yeah can i put some of that in my compost pile or is it too acidic
0: well it has nothing to do with the acidity really it's uh um, it will, it's a very good material to use as a mulch on the surface, but it is okay. very slow to break down. So, um, I, you know, if you want to compost some of it, do it separately from your other things. So you're going to break down more quickly because I don't want the high carbon nature of the cedar to be slowing down the you know the decomposition of the rest of your pile, but as a mulch on the surface, man, it's free and it's just hard to beat. So uh, I would I would hoard a bit of it. I, I think you know maybe compost and things like that are worth hoarding, not uh, not not tuna fish and paper towels. But uh, uh, yeah, get get your good uh, B E C trimmings, but don't blend them into the soil. Don't blend them into your existing compost. Okay. Use them as a mulch on the surface, and uh, you will improve things.
10: All right, I appreciate it, and I enjoy your show.
0: I appreciate that, and you have a wonderful week this week. And uh, uh, yeah, let's go and take another call before we take a break. And that would be Don. Good morning, Don.
11: Yes, good morning, Bob. Yes, uh, sir. Yeah, Bob, I have I have some bare spots in my in my yard, which I know were caused by a lack of uh, water. Okay, uh, and, and I started noticing it, you know, late last summer, and I just let it go and so on. But I want to put some I want to put some sod down, some uh, Saint Augustine. Okay. Uh, okay, uh and I'm wondering how how do I prepare? Do I prepare something before I put it down? Do I do something with the soil
0: well, uh, y- number one, you so need I'd to break be...
11: it up. I thought maybe I'd break it up and you know loosen it up, but is there anything else I do
0: okay would you do you plan to put down big solid squares of it, or do you intend to put little plugs here and there no, and let it grow to, i
11: was, I was going to use a big sod the oh, big okay.
0: uh the big squares, uh, squares. Your sod, your new sod needs to make good contact with the dirt underneath it, with the actual soil. So mm. if you've got dead grass, if you've got weeds, you need to cut them, you need to rake them, you need to do whatever you can so that when you put your new sod on top, you know, it will it will make good contact with the soil underneath. And beyond that, no, there's nothing particular you need to do. Um, it is very important when you get your new sod, as soon as you put it down, not the next day, not the next week, but you need to have one of these heavy rollers. Uh, they're usually a water-fillable roller, rent for maybe $10 a day from most rental centers, and you you roll your new grass as soon as you put it in. You're not trying to make it level. What you're doing is taking out any air pockets between your new sod and your old soil, uh uh-huh. if you don't do that you'll have portions of your new sod are going to die where they've got you know a little chamber of air between them and the soil underneath but no get the soil as exposed as you can uh be sure you're getting good fresh sod plant it the day you get it it cannot remain stacked on the pallet it starts decomposing within a few hours but uh get your soil ready get your put a little organic fertilizer down if you like Put your new sod down, roll it, water it, and stand back and enjoy some instant lawn.
11: Okay, Bob. Thank you very much. I really appreciate
0: it. Okay, let there. me tell you. Let me ask you one more question. Um, uh-huh. Is this area really sunny? You said this area that didn't get much water. Is it? Is it really really bright sun?
11: Well, you know, I have some in the bright sun and some that that's in the shade.
0: Okay, because there are different varieties of St Augustine grass. Uh, the sunnier areas, the toughest most drought-tolerant grass you can plant is, uh, they call it Floritam St. Augustine. It was developed jointly by the University of Florida and Texas A&M. That's where the name Floritam comes from. And it is your toughest, sun-loving St. Augustine. In your shadier areas, there are a couple of varieties. Uh, one is called Delmar. Uh, the other is called Palmetto. that are your best St. Augustine varieties for the shady areas. So, um... If, uh, if the majority of your area is shady, go ahead and get the Del Mar or Palmetto. It will grow in the sun. If the majority of your area is really hot sun, I'd probably make, uh, Floritam my choice. It will not do quite as well in the shade, but it will certainly, it'll certainly hang in better on those hot, dry summers.
11: Okay, good, Bob. Thank you very much.
0: You're certainly welcome, Don. Thank you for the call. Goodbye. All right, let's get back to the phone lines. Ray, Karen, uh, get this in order here. Ray, Karen, Katie, and Cindy. Ray's up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. Uh,
11: th- th- thank you for what you do.
0: Well, it's my, uh, my pleasure.
11: Question is, yes. uh, my question is uh, about compost. There's a long-time nursery closing down here, and they still have a lot of bags of um, uh, cotton burr compost. Yes, sir. And I'm just wondering if that's something that we could use in a... In the in the in the garden in the
0: yard, it's that's a great question. Um, there is good compost and there is great compost. Uh, good compost is made what I would call a single source compost would be something like mushroom compost or cotton burr compost. But uh, the the more different things that go into making compost, the greater the variety of microbes you get because different microbes break down different products when you have a Single source product, so to speak. You, you've got good microbial life, but you don't have a lot of diversity in there. So, um, if somebody gave me and said, "Okay, can take your choice between a bag of Koppenburg compost or a bag of blended compost from uh, Nature's Creation or Ladybug or something like that," I would definitely take the blended compost. But if I could pick up a lot of Koppenburg compost or mushroom compost or anything like that at a very reasonable price, man, go for it. It's it's good. It's just it, I can't tell you it's the best. Compost on the market, but it is very definitely a good compost that makes sense
11: uh-huh. okay well yes, uh, that's fine uh yeah i think uh, I mean obviously they have the price reduced on it, so yeah uh, yeah, I think uh they'll take advantage of that yeah uh, well that that was my question thank you and well you good question we were here for well. were here for, uh, for a, while, a few years ago uh we could hear, listen to your broadcast, but uh now we have to depend on and thank goodness on the, on the internet
0: well. So glad that you're able to do that, and it's you calling me that keeps me on the air. So I appreciate you, too, right? You get out and have a wonderful week, and I'll look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, sir. Your show. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Okay. All right. Uh, Karen's up next. Good morning, Karen.
12: Good morning. How are you? This
0: I'm morning? doing very well. How about yourself?
12: So far, so good.
0: That's so far, a great so way to... Me
12: and Maggie are just um, listening to your show and having a wonderful morning.
0: That's the way a day ought to start.
12: <laughs> okay, we have, um, along my back fence, I have some really old, old ligustrums. Uh mm-hmm. They've probably been there 30, 40 years, and okay. they're beginning to, you know, I guess die out. Decline. Decline, at the very least. Help. Yeah. Yes, Decline. Um, you know, there's a lot of dead stuff in the center, and then some of the, the newer growth that has grown out is, you know, of course, on the edges and such like that. Um, Maggie the Pointer likes to go and, and help prune uh, the barn
2: branches.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Just good to have a good companion like that. It's so capable and willing. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. <laughs> um, and, and this is probably the wax leaf not the Japanese, but the old-fashioned wax leaf
12: Yes, Yes, it is the the wax leaf, and I'm wondering if if I decided to go ahead and cut all those down because they are declining so badly,
2: mm-hmm.
12: uh, they're getting really thin. I love I love the fact that they're back there because they also give me a nice privacy screen from my neighbors who are very very close right. to our back fence. What would I What would be a good substitute to put in there that would grow into a nice screen?
0: And how tall does it need to be to be effective?
12: Um, eight feet,
0: ten feet, 15, twenty feet okay. between fifteen and twenty okay, um, you have a couple of choices and realize that you don't have to do this all at once. you don't have to you know get rid of everything that's out there and then put up with you know waiting for the new shrubs to grow up to the appropriate size, whichever mm-hmm. you choose. I would be very selective about it. I would take out the worst of the legustrum, and I would begin replacing it with your replacement hedge and by the, you know, that way your new plants are going to be up and growing and you're just going to be kind of partially exposed instead of totally exposed. And there are some things out there that will, will grow pretty large, pretty quickly. Now, Tell me about your soil. Tell me uh, if water is an issue. Are you able to water adequately out there?
12: Yes, I'm able to water out there. Um, it, this My whole yard, front and back, have been neglected for um, a number of years. Mm-hmm. And, of course, I've always had pointer dogs. And so the backyard has a tremendous amount of erosion. And um, we're kind of on a, a, a slope. Okay. So. I was wondering if I also needed to, like, put these things in, you know, the new stuff in, like, big barrels No, so that no, it's, the soil that, is very poor. Yeah,
0: that that would just make it much more difficult to uh, care for. The two shrubs that I would like you to take a look at uh, probably, uh, and they're both fast-growing, but one is going to be loquat, which makes mm-hmm. a, you know, a 15-, 20-foot uh Edge, some people think they're messy because they make that uh, yellow orange fruit most springs. Other people think they're mm-hmm. wonderful because they make the yellow orange fruit most springs. Maggie would probably enjoy right. very much having a little bit of uh, yeah. forage out there. But Lagustrum, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Loquat does take a little bit more water long term. It's one of those things you can't just ignore. If we go into a very dry summer, if we have a drought of any sort, Uh, the uh, loquat will take some supplemental water. There is Mm -hmm. another hedge that uh, grows quickly that can be trimmed uh, but doesn't have to be trimmed. It's called xylosma. It's spelled X-Y-L-O-S-M-A, kind of like xylophone, but xylosma. Mm -hmm. And it's a nice evergreen shrub, grows fairly quickly you can keep it trimmed to a smaller size. Loquat, you know, you're going to give up the back 10 feet of your yard. It's going to make a big, Mm -hmm. thick, full hedge given time. But uh, those would be the two that I would consider most strongly. Now, if you told me that you were the most patient person in the world, I would throw into that mix Mount Laurel. I would throw in uh, standard Yopon Holly, Friday Houston varieties. But these guys are going to take several years to get there. Uh, both loquat and Xylosma are capable of putting on three feet of growth, sometimes maybe even a little bit more per year. So I think mm-hmm. if you do this gradually, I think if you know this spring, how long a how long a section is this?
12: Probably fifty, sixty feet.
0: Yeah, if you went along so the one and I'm replaced.
12: Most concerned about is like, I guess fifty. Well, no, the whole thing. Yeah.
0: Okay. So if 50, if you feet. went through and you took out. You know, a fourth of the worst plants in there and replaced them this spring. If you went back this fall and took out another fourth of the worst plants... Uh, over a period of a couple of years, you're going to have a totally new hedge, but you're never going to be totally, with it, totally without foliage out there. And that's how I mm-hmm. would approach a situation. Both Silosma and Loquat are tolerant of not the best soils in the world. You'll certainly improve them if you keep a good mulch over the root zone and, of course, uh, mm-hmm. good nutrition with a good organic fertilizer. But um, you got a big project there, but it's a project that has a solution and with a little care, either xylosom or loquat should last you the next forty or fifty years. And by that time, you and Maggie will be living on two hundred acres somewhere, and uh, and and not be worried about it.
12: <laughs> that would be true. Yes. Now, I I had one other quick question. Is it too late to put the uh, because because the you know yard has been. Um, it neglected for so you know terribly long is it do you like to put out the to put a, a cover of compost on the on the ground
0: another excellent another. question yeah here here's the deal about compost is if you put it out when it's too hot it's not going to kill anything but you're going to get some yellowing you're not going to get the full benefit of the compost um okay. if it stays cool uh It's going to be an ideal time, but my crystal ball has failed me on Texas weather, so I can't tell you what the <laughs> weather's going to be like. It looks like for the next week or two we're going to have very moderate temperatures, and so I would tell you it'd be an outstanding time to put it out. But, even if it turns out to be ninety degrees next week, which I really don 't think is very likely uh, even if even if that happened, the worst you would have is some temporary yellow, and you still get a lot of benefit from the compost. And I think it's, um, considering your situation there, it's better to go ahead and put it out now than wait till fall to do it. But, uh, don't, don't put it off. Go ahead and get it on as quickly as you can and water it in, uh, when you, when, once you put it out. This carries a lot of the ammonia gas and things like that that's in there down into the soil where it benefits the soil. But, uh, no, I don't think it's too late, but we're going to get there before too very long.
12: Okay, super. Okay, I was looking to see. On my notes, I was looking to see if there's something I needed to ask you about. Um, because of the severe erosion, uh-huh. would it be also be good if I brought in some topsoil of some sort? No, topsoil is
0: just going to bring in weeds.
12: Oh, I got enough of those. Yeah,
0: yeah, you'd probably okay. just, you probably just put your compost on a little heavier, and um, if I mean, if if you have like an eroded hillside, uh, what is your basic grass? Bermuda or Saint Augustine?
12: Saint Augustine.
0: Okay. If if you had a hillside that was really eroding badly, what I would do is I would get you know maybe a pallet of grass. I would cut it in linear strips, like three inches wide and thirty six inches long, and I would just kind mm-hmm. of like I was terracing and I just put stripes across down that hill that's a lot cheaper a lot less work than trying to resod the whole hill but what you've done Mm -hmm. is put little barriers periodically up and down that hill that are going to slow down the runoff slow down the erosion and hold the water in place a little better if you feel like you've gotten to that point that's the additional thing that i would consider doing um, if you're going to do that, do rake the compost away. You never want to put new grass on top of compost because grass' roots uh, take oxygen, and, of course, compost is producing a lot of carbon dioxide. So your option is if you've got lots of time and it's in the budget – um do the grass this week and do the compost next week uh if the if if it's going to take a little longer to get things done get your compost on but as you put your strips of sod in just rake the compost back put the sod down and then put the compost on top of it
12: gotcha super now should i before i do any of this should i do something that would help um the soil because of course it's you know this wonderful clay soil that we have you know I should do for the soil <laughs>
0: Anything you do for the soil is going to be a long-term project. So I feel like getting your, your shrubs, getting your, uh, grass going well. We got to take care of Maggie. You know, they're, they're the most important family members out there, but I think those take priority. Soil, soil improvement is going to be a much longer term proposition. A good organic fertilizer, of course, is going to help everything. Uh, sprays like Garrett Juice, sprays like Medina Plus, uh, and even just a molasses spray. Over time, these will really help. So if you put it on the calendar to do that once a month, that's all good. But uh, you can't fix bad soil quickly. So let's get the shrubs going. Let's get the grass growing, and we'll work at gradually improving the soil.
12: Gotcha. Super. That's a plan. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help.
0: It's always a pleasure, Karen. I appreciate the call this morning. You have a wonderful Sunday.
12: Thank you. You too. Thank you. I plan to.
0: Bye. All right, let's get back to gardening. It's going to be Katie and Cindy and Patty and Jim. Katie's first. Good morning, Katie. Hi. Hi.
13: I'm I'm calling from Concan. Okay. And we had planted three olive trees about four years ago,
2: mm-hmm.
13: and this year they have all have died. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one at a time. And it's the it's the olive tree that starts with the letter A. Arbutenia. Yes, and and you know we've kept water on them, and we just we were thinking about replanting, but we don't want them to die as well.
0: Well, Concan, you are you you really have gotten into a little bit colder zone. Uh, and granted, we have not had really hard winters, but we've had some. Freezes at sort of an inopportune time, like the one that hit last fall while things were still, you know, in fairly active growth. And I, much as I hate to say it, I just don't really think olives are going to be a real good you know long term choice for Concan they just they just get hurt too much when we get that occasional cold and when we get that occasional severe cold which you know granted it, it's not going to be this year but it's just I've I've lived in the hill country for long enough to have seen some really really cold weather mm-hmm. and I think that there are much better choices than than olives now olives are not especially prone to problems but Uh, When we get something like that very sudden cold that we had, I can't remember if it was the very end of October, or the very first part of November, uh, a lot of plants were hurt. A few plants were killed because the plants simply weren't ready for the cold. And it would not surprise me if if, uh, this was sort of a sudden death thing, if the plants were looking not bad and then just almost overnight they started looking really bad. I think probably just experienced some extreme cold damage to them, and I just am afraid that that could happen over and over and over again. So um, as fun as it would be to grow some olives, uh, you're just going to need to move a little further south if you're going to do that.
13: So they don't get to a certain level of maturity and then are able to handle that? Okay.
0: No, okay. on some things like uh, and I but I and don't get me wrong, I'm I'm not gonna recommend avocados or citrus for you either. But there are plants such as the avocados that once they develop a heavy woody bark on them, they are much more cold hardy, but olives aren't that way.
13: Gotcha. Okay. The other question we had um had to go back to you had mentioned the concentrated hydrogen peroxide. Right.
0: Uh huh, thirty nine percent.
13: 39% is it 37 so like we, or
0: 39 I can't remember which but yes I know what you're speaking of
13: And you can use that for a pond or is that just cuz we also do the coloring of the pond but if we can use a hydrogen peroxide we might would prefer that
0: How how big is your pond
13: It's it's, it's similar to what the woman's was about the size of a football field Do
0: this call um Water Garden Gems G E M S uh, talk to I think it's probably Shane you'll want to talk to out there, but call Water Garden Gems because they are the best place you can get the 37% hydrogen peroxide, and they have a lot more experience with it in a natural pond. Now, um, I know Howard Garrett, know a number of people that have used it to combat some algae issues in swimming pools and in, you know, hard line structures. But uh, before I just blanket say this is going to be the solution to all your problems, uh, call Shane over there and ask him because they deal with, uh, you know, a lot of natural water features, uh, dealing with lilies and fish and things like that all the time. I suspect it would be practical and um, it would certainly be one of the most environmentally friendly things you could do. And it does give very good, uh, at least temporary algae control. If there's something that's really permanent. They should get some big old grass carp or something like that. But uh, call them and ask them because you're probably going to be going over there to get your hydrogen peroxide if you go that way. I mm-hmm. think it would probably work fine but um, he's going to ask you questions about the volume of water. So you need to have an idea of how deep the pond is overall because, of course, the amount that you use, and, of course, you're using much, much, much less when you're using the concentrate, but uh, you use a given amount per cubic foot of water or whatever so you need to have an idea of sort of the size of the surface size of it and then the average depth so that you can calculate water water volume and then you know how much peroxide you're going to need to uh, accomplish what you're looking for
13: okay we can do that water garden gyms
0: water garden gyms they're closed thursday and friday they're open the other five days they're over um they're just east of San Antonio. It'll be a bit of a drive, but it's a beautiful place to visit. They're on I-10 uh, about 6 miles east of Loop 1604 on the east side of San Antonio.
13: No, I'm familiar with them. So that's Very be great. good. And then the beneficial nematodes that yes. you talked about, are the, would those be helpful in a raised garden? They in a you know, garden in a raised planter box?
0: Yeah, they they depending on what uh the problems you're dealing with are Beneficial nematodes can be used anywhere you have soil uh, in a garden, whether it's raised or in the ground. The principal issues you're going to have are things like uh, uh, wireworms, which are the larvae of a click beetle, grub worms, which are the larvae of a June beetle, and then uh, then various larval things uh, and fire ants. And yes, uh, beneficial nematodes take care of all of those things, and they would do just fine in a raised bed.
13: Okay, great. Well, thanks a lot for all your help. We enjoyed listening to you.
0: I appreciate that so much, Katie. You get out and have a good Sunday, and we'll talk again. And I'll say good morning to Cindy. Good morning. What's going on today?
14: Well, we have a new home. And Congratulations. Thank you. Because of all the construction, and, and then we've been doing some landscaping in the backyard. Uh-huh. The the side of the house where where there used to be, you know, weeds, really. It's just downtrodden, and so over the winter, what we did was we seeded for with rye grass.
2: Right,
0: and
14: it, it was just beautiful.
0: Take care now, of the bud. <laughs> you know,
14: yeah, the heat is coming along, and now we need to do something. Again, we need to plant some kind of grass, and and it's a large area, so you know St Augustine is out because that's just that just takes way too much water. Mm-hmm. So we need something.
0: Drought tolerant, um, and is, is low
14: it,
7: growing.
0: This fairly sunny area. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, first thing I would tell you to do is get a long term plan. I mean, look that area over and say, you know, maybe I want to put an outdoor kitchen here someday. Maybe I want to have a flower bed or a vegetable garden here. Maybe the kids need a big play area and a big swing set, and kind of map out what your long term use is and uh because grass any kind of grass st augustine is of course uh, takes the most care but um even bermuda grass and other things are going to be a little bit expensive to put out and they are going to use a lot of water uh there are ground covers such as asiatic jasmine that use less water um if you opt to have um you know i've got friends with a bocce ball cord in the backyard but but rather than just rush to have a huge area of grass you know, just kind of plan out and see if that's what, you know, five years from now, uh, if you would want to still have grass in the area, if you have something else in mind. Uh, Then beyond that, uh, you're going to, you know, Choose, as you say, your most drought-tolerant, most wear-tolerant grass, and it's going to be one of the Bermudas. The beauty of Bermuda is that you can plant it from seed, not this early. You're going to have to wait probably another couple of months, but Bermuda is very inexpensive to establish because you can do it from seed. Uh, It takes some attention to watering and all, but that's going to be your least expensive way to go. If you're looking for the most foot traffic tolerant grass out there, you would want to go with what we call Tiff Green or Tiff way or Tiff four nineteen Bermuda. This is just super, super durable as far as foot traffic, but unfortunately, it can't be planted from seed. You would have to plant it from sod you don't necessarily have to do it solid sod, but you can you know cut it into small pieces, plant it, and let it spread and take over. But uh, so I think you're going to end up with one of the Bermudas. um, And like I say, if if, and I know how having a new house, you have plenty of demands on your money. And, uh, you know, seeding common Bermuda about the end of April, 1st of May is going to be your least expensive option, but, but I want you to look real carefully at that area and be sure that you would want to have grass everywhere because that's the problem with Bermuda. It's hard to get rid of if you suddenly decide, gee, I wish we'd put a vegetable garden out there. Then we're going to be fighting Bermuda for a couple of years trying to get rid of it. So decide exactly what you want to do and then decide exactly which grass you want.
14: Okay, and if we went with seeding Bermuda, which, which seed Bermuda is the best? You
0: know it's common Bermuda is fine in most areas. There are some improved forms uh Douglas King seed has oh things like Riviera. Blackjack is probably one of the most common ones that are a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger um, but you know good old common Bermuda for what you're doing would probably be adequate too. Bermuda's not an expensive seed, regardless of which type you decide to plant.
14: right, okay, all right. Sounds good. Thank you so much.
0: You've got a big project. Just don't try to yes. do it all at once. Divide it into no. little bite-sized pieces so it stays fun and doesn't turn into work.
14: Yes, that's what we're doing in the backyard a little bit at a time.
0: You keep up the good yeah. work, Cindy, and call anytime I can help.
14: All right. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. All right. Time to get back to the phone lines. Can be Patty and Jim and Don and Tana. And Patty's up first. Uh, good morning, Patty.
15: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I have a question about uh, an avocado tree. Okay. Um, I believe it's joey. We Mm -hmm. just got it in the fall. Right. About six inches up the trunk. um, You know, it's the dark brown trunk. Right. And then it's green most of the way up. But about six inches up, it's starting to have a branch. Uh, Should we leave that alone? Um, Because I see other branches coming up all all up the the green branch.
0: I It just kind of depends on whether you want to have an avocado bush or an avocado tree. Now, this branch is coming out above the graft point, right? You can see the little kind of jag in the stem where it was grafted originally.
15: Well, I guess that's what I'm looking at. Yes, it, it looks like it's It's had two branches before. There is a little jack there.
0: Okay, if the new branch is above that point, you can leave it if you like. If it's below that point, I would cut it off because it could indicate it could be coming off the rootstock rather than what you've got there is two trees. You've got a tree that doesn't have any top because it's forming the root system, and then you've got joey, which is the improved variety that was grafted on top of it. And so you don't want anything growing out from the rootstock. You want everything that grows to be your joey avocado. So if this uh, new limb coming out is above that point um, and you want to have a bushier tree and not necessarily have just a nice big trunk, then uh, leave it alone. If you long term, if it's coming out below that point or if long-term you want something that's more tree-like, then uh, cut it away.
15: Okay. And, and it came with a rod and. Uh, to support it. Should uh-huh. we go ahead and take that off now?
0: You know, you don't want it tied tightly to it. On the other hand, you don't want it uh, flopping around wildly. So what I would probably tell you to do, I mean, it's probably what kind of does have a twisty or something like that around holding the trunk to the rod? It,
15: it looks like white tape.
0: Yeah, I would cut that white tape but I would maybe replace it with something just so that it holds it loosely so it can't completely fall over. It can't gyrate too wildly in the wind. But at the same time, uh, you don't want it, uh, you know, you don't want to tie it up tightly. You want it to move back and forth in the breeze because this is what's going to create a much stronger trunk long term. But uh, you know how South Texas wind can be. You don't want this tree flat on the ground tomorrow morning either.
15: Sure, sure. Um the other question I have um, is on my in my compost pile.
2: Mm-hmm.
15: Um I'm noticing they sort of look like little termites. Um you know, they're kind of flesh colored. Uh-huh. Um what I I did spray uh when I first saw them, uh about 2 or 3 weeks ago with a nematode mm-hmm. and I sprayed that pile really good. But what what else could I do?
0: Well, you don't necessarily need to do anything, even if it's termites. Termites are a natural thing. Every healthy mm. yard in the world has termites in it. And if we didn't have termites, the earth would be 30 miles deep in dead trees and things like that. So um, there's nothing you really have to do. Your beneficial nematodes will very definitely knock the termites out. Um, if you see them in a given area and you want to use a little bit of uh, mound ranch, either the purchase product, which has, uh, I think it's a rosemary oil base, or you could just mix up some orange oil and water, just pour over the area, and you'll certainly kill. Uh, termites are basically just a kind of ant, and so anything that you would do to get rid of fire ants or carpenter ants or anything else will get the termites under control. But on the other hand, if the compost pile isn't, you know, leaning up against your fence or leaning against your garage, this is not an emergency thing that you have to rush out and do something about immediately because uh, you're always going to have a few termites around. But getting rid of them, you can do it with beneficial nematodes, you can do it with orange oil and water, you can do it with ground, mound drench, uh, whatever is most convenient for you.
15: Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much. I sure appreciate it.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning, Patty. Thank you.
15: Have a great day. You
0: too. Goodbye.
15: Yeah, don't dial right this second,
0: though, because every line is taken, but uh, we'll have one available very shortly for you, because I'm just going to go ahead and push line number four and say good morning, Jim.
3: Well, good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. A couple of questions real quick. Okay. Uh, Cornmeal, is it too late to put it down for weed control?
0: Uh, cornmeal doesn't control weeds. Um, oh, okay. You're probably thinking of corn gluten meal. Yeah, corn, which, corn gluten meal. Oh yeah, yeah, it doesn't do a real good job of weed control to begin with. And now that all those weeds are already up and sprouted, uh, you're not going to really accomplish a thing by it. Some people are still putting it down for sticker burr control. But for that to be effective, you probably have to do it about four or five times which gets very expensive, and if we get, you know, an unusual amount of moisture, it doesn't work at all. So uh, I, I'm i not going to be buying any corn gluten meal this week myself.
3: No. Okay, <laughs> appreciate that. Real quick, uh, Rose of Sharon, Will it? Uh, we're, we're in the 281-46 area. Uh-huh. Will it grow?
0: It'll grow beautifully. It'll grow beautifully. It, oh, beautifully. it needs, uh, uh, needs a real sunny spot to do well. And I know how scarce uh, soil can be, so try to yeah. pick an area that, you know, has at least some soil or maybe even create a little bit of a raised bed. But uh, um, Rose of Sharon, Althea, whatever name you want to call it by, uh, is a is totally cold-hardy. My mama had them in her yard in East Tennessee where it was 10 below zero a lot of time in the wow. winter. So um, okay. the only issue we ever see <clears throat> with Althea, it is somewhat susceptible to cottony root rot, but I have to tell you, I haven't seen an Althea die of cottony root rot in 20 years in this area. So just uh, maybe put a little cornmeal down and uh, just, you know, keep it well mulched. Give it the same good care you would give anything else. And uh, I think you do extremely well with Althea.
3: Okay, great. One more question real quick. Uh, we've got a low-quad tree we pl- had planted in uh, about a, it's, it's a young one, about a two-inch base.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Uh, but it's not doing anything. Been in the ground for probably – Six months, and it just doesn't seem to be I know we've had cold weather, but uh, is there anything we can put on that to improve the the growth um, on
0: it The usual two things organic fertilizer and water um, okay. low <laughs> what we're trying yeah loquat is a thirsty plant, and uh-huh. um you know we have had very little decent rains we've had lots of rainy days but right, we basically right. got nothing that would help that low so be okay. giving it a good thorough soaking weekly. Uh, get some good organic fertilizer on there as soon as possible, and uh, you ought to see a nice burst of growth start in the next week or two.
3: Okay, that's what we're looking for. Appreciate you.
0: Always a pleasure. Appreciate the call, Jim. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Bob. Certainly. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right, next up is going to be Don, then it'll be Tana and Harry. Good morning, Don.
16: Morning. Morning, sir. Uh, the, my journey of about four years now, I've been uh, going to zero scape all of my yard, and, uh, and uh, I, I only have two two areas left that have uh, I planted um, uh, Bermuda grass. Yes, sir. And and because I'm on a corner lot and I'm, I'm near Northwest San Anto- Downtown San Antonio. Okay. Um, they these people that pull trailers. Don't realize that they're cutting the corner too close, and they run over my corner of my grass.
0: Uh, they're
16: not helping me
0: idiots all
16: right, and so uh I want to put down a layer of compost uh and and in in also at the same time you know level out those those ruts mm-hmm. with, with the compost now, will the compost be my fertilizer also
0: no. No, compost brings good things to the soil. Compost brings humic acid, fulvic acid, a world of beneficial life, but almost no nutrition to the soil. It's, uh, uh, it's a great thing to do, but it does not replace your fertilizer.
16: Okay, so I, I put the compost down, water it in, and then in a week or so, fertilize? It,
0: it's It's totally up to you. You can do it all in one day. You can do the compost first. You can do the fertilizer first. Uh, the fertilizer does not have to be watered. Uh, compost you doesn't have to be watered, but you'll gain some additional benefit because there are some things in compost that would volatilize and just go into the air if you water those uh, things like ammonia gas get carried down into the soil. So um, this is not a, a complicated procedure so to speak there's some work involved in it but uh you can do it in any order and uh, i would try to water after you put the compost down but not necessary to water based on your fertilizer application
16: all right sir uh and this medina grow um growing green yes sir
0: it's as good as Uh, you'll find
16: okay it granular or, or, or liquid
0: it's the granular product now they make something okay. called has to grow i for most uses i like granular fertilizer for the grass and trees and shrubs simply because you don't have to do it nearly as often It it has a lot more staying power so to speak uh plus for me in general you know granular is easier than liquid to apply so yeah get yourself a bag of growing green and uh you can borrow a spreader to put it out. You can scatter it out by hand. You can do whatever works in your world.
16: All right, sir. And and I appreciate the information. Uh, I want to pass along. Uh, people have called in about you know hedge replacing hedges and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, I had a uh, one side of my uh, yard that I needed uh, a, a, sc- a good screen.
2: Yes,
0: sir. Because
16: my my neighbor and I didn't agree on how to take care of them. Uh,
0: <laughs> a common problem.
16: So uh, I I put in variegated trivet privet privet yeah me. and and it has been a wonderful screen yeah you know I I, I put them in they were probably four four foot tall uh, uh, plants that I got, uh, and took advantage of a sale that, uh, was, was going on at the nursery mm-hmm. and, uh, I, it watered it in good root, root stimulator and everything. And, and I couldn't ask for a better, you know, and, and they're about 15 feet high.
0: And how, how long ago did you put them in Don?
16: I, I put them in uh, about four years ago.
0: Okay, I will tell you that the average. I love variegated privet. I think it's it's a very nice plant, but I will caution you that the average lifespan on that is ten to twelve years. So it it's something that, you know, three, four years from now, you're going to call me and say, why is my privet thinning out? And I'm going to say, I told you, uh, it just yeah. long-term it, it, it has some issues. It's not extremely long-lived. So it is a very good choice. It has filled the need for you, but just don't expect it to live forever.
16: Okay. Well, that. That uh, will probably work out because uh my neighbor has sold the house and,
2: <laughs>
16: and we are getting we are getting a uh, new new owner and a new and a redo, so the screen the trivette has has done its work That's... and and will and I just as soon have you know be able to look out and, and look across there. Sure. But I, I couldn't I couldn't uh, tolerate the the what I was looking at to start with. Well, that's,
0: I that's totally I totally understand that, and I'm glad it's worked out for you. May I suggest that you find somebody that can bring in a very large boulder that weighs about four or five hundred pounds uh, that could be decorative in nature and put right out there on that corner, and uh, it will discourage uh, people who are careless with their trailers.
16: I think that's a wonderful idea, and I have a, uh, a company, San Jacinto Rock, that I can get a boulder from.
0: I, You could make it an attractive part of your landscape out there and solve a big problem at the same time.
16: All right, sir. I appreciate your time. Always have a pleasure. Have a wonderful day. You
0: do the same, Don. Thank you so much. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Uh, looks like Tana is up next. Good morning, Tana.
17: Good morning, sir.
0: It's been a while since we talked. I hope things are good in your world.
17: Things are improving wonderfully in my world.
0: <laughs> well, that's a, that. That's always the trend that you want to be following.
17: Right. And I don't have the um, wildscape that I once had, but I am now adjusting to a thimble-sized garden (laughs) okay
0: well it's um
17: and the gerber daisies are absolutely beautiful Aren't
0: they just just little they just make you smile to look at them i don't care what anybody says you can't look at a bed of gerber daisies and not smile when they're in bloom
17: so thank you so very much for that suggestion last year they lived through the winter and they're blooming again also uh for those folks out there um, you may already have hummingbirds if mm-hmm. you don't put out your feeders. I had one yesterday, and by evening I had two fighting over the same one, so <laughs> I have to put out two more.
0: Yep, put out more feeders because they do. Oh, yeah. I love the word pugnacious. I just think there should be a picture of a hummingbird <laughs> next to the word pugnacious because that the best thing I've ever heard to describe their behavior.
17: Okay, and the reason I'm calling is if I – Put a shallow dish and float a sponge in it,
2: Mm -hmm.
17: then if I hang it in my um, tree that is just now beginning to, uh, okay, it's a Fuyu persimmon. Okay. Will that draw the bees to make sure I have good pollination?
0: Oh, it certainly should. Um, you know, oh, do it okay. in such a fashion it can't blow in the wind and empty itself out. But uh, a sponge, or even a stick, or even you know, even an appropriate sized rock uh, with sponge. It's nice if you can find a natural sponge somewhere. But uh, you're a clever lady; you can make that work any way you like, and the bees would very much appreciate the would appreciate the sugar water.
17: Well, I tried it last year, and despite the fact that I. I tried to put sugar water in there.
2: Mm-hmm.
17: They would still drown because they just clumped on top of each other.
2: Sure, sure.
17: So I thought, and it seems to be working. Yeah. I moistened the sponge good, mm-hmm. and there's only just a tiny bit of water. Of course, you have to check it throughout the day. But right. Okay, well, they, they didn't seem to get the hint. I'll keep at it.
0: Yeah, it'll take a while for them to find it, but they most definitely will. Be sure when you hang or support it that you uh, create something to keep the ants from getting into it because they can be, (coughs) excuse me, still getting the last tiny traces of last Sunday's cold out of the way. But um, there's a big kind of beige ant that, you know, it's one of them that recently has really wanted to get into my hummingbird feeders. Uh, so, I, however you you do your dish, I would kind of use the same ant stopping device or whatever that you would use for your hummingbird feeders.
17: I use those moats that you yeah. hang between the feeder that yeah. hangs on the holder,
0: <laughs> and they and they work extremely well. Uh, I do as I'm sure you've discovered, get a fairly large one because I'm always amazed at how quickly that water evaporates, even with a little Mm -hmm. drop of olive oil or something on top of it. But you're doing it all right. Just keep up the good work.
17: I thank you kindly.
0: Always a pleasure. Thank you, Dana. (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. FM 1071. All
17: right. Back to
0: gardening and back to the phone lines. And Harry's up first. Good morning, Harry. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you? It's just going to be another wonderful spring day out there. A little overcast, maybe a little bit of moisture in the air, but I'm planning to enjoy every minute of it.
8: Yeah, I was going to mow, but it's getting kind of wet, so I yep. think I'll just self-quarantine and, and go over
0: there. <laughs> well, that will work in the vegetable garden, or I think you can find something, something good to do. Uh, I just feel sorry for all those couch potatoes that don't get to watch uh, racing. They don't get to watch sports on TV, but uh, maybe it'll get people yeah, back sad. out in nature where where they were intended to spend a little bit more time. Uh, yeah,
8: yeah. Get- get to work.
0: There you go. What can I help you with today?
8: Some blue poly drums out there catching the rainwater. Yes, sir. And uh, we've got valve on the bottom of one of them. And we've got screens on top of them to keep the leaves and sticks out. Right. And we put orange oil in there because there we go. We're going to have flea season coming up and then we're going to have hurricane season coming up and (laughs) everything's going to be
0: gone oh you're just so optimistic there yes sir
8: um well now i take the water out of the bottom of the drum Mm -hmm. to water the plants with the orange oil in it is that okay oh yeah yeah
0: because you're just using a drop or two of orange oil it takes very little orange oil to knock out the mosquitoes and other things and uh uh, you know, I mean, in a big drum, you're going to use maybe half a teaspoon of orange oil is all you need to use, and if anything, yeah. that's, that. yeah, that's going to benefit your plants. That's not going to hurt a thing.
8: Okay. And it's okay if the cat drinks out of that, because she lands on there and drinks out of that, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Not going to be a problem. We'll never do anything that's going to hurt our pets, and uh, like I say, you're, you're doing it so dilutely, uh, should not be a problem at all, and... uh you know, if, if they're not full, you could put literally a drop of orange oil in there would be enough to do the job.
8: Oh, and the 55-inch drum a drop?
0: Yeah. Now, once that drum is really full of water, yeah, you might want to go with the dropper full. But uh, it yeah, no, for,
8: it's been raining this morning, and I don't know if it's going to dilute it too much. No,
0: it, it just doesn't take much orange oil to do the control. The mosquitoes control is the most you know what most people are using the orange oil for and um it just takes only a very tiny amount to be effective at doing that and that's going awesome. not going to hurt your kitty cat or your grass or plants or anything else great very Thank good you very much well it's always oh, a pleasure okay. you have a good day as well all right uh let's be sure i'm getting them all in order next up's going to be et good morning et Good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm uh, fantastic. How are you doing?
18: Oh, I'm still kicking.
0: Yep. That's, uh, that's oh. a good way to start.
18: Okay, yeah, my, my hummingbird showed up on the 11th.
0: Uh, very good.
18: Yeah, I've been. I've got the last seven years recorded, and uh, usually about the 11th, and the latest ever came out was the 4th of April.
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
18: Okay. i got a question about potatoes. Okay. Do uh, I in them in, uh, in uh, like, a five-gallon buck or a large nursery pot?
0: You can, um... It's, uh, I, I would go the bigger the better. If you, I don't think a five-gallon bucket, you'd have trouble keeping them adequately watered because potatoes got a lot of leaves. They use a fair amount of moisture. 15-gallon bucket or, you know, a molasses tub, a whiskey barrel, up in that size, you're going to do just fine growing potatoes.
18: Yeah, well, I got some pretty pretty good size, you know, nursery containers. So, yeah. you know, some of the ones that trees come from. Yeah, Put and maybe put was, maybe
0: uh... three plants. If it's a 15-gallon, put three, Potato pieces in there. If it's a 30-gallon, you can probably go with four or five.
18: Okay, down the road a little bit, they're doing a development, right? And they're grading up the dirt. It used to be old cow pasture, you know, and, and crops and all. Mm-hmm. And I use some of that dirt in one of the big old containers? I would think
0: so, um, as long as it's not an area where they're growing hay year after year, because uh, there's always an issue with an herbicide called picloram, which takes uh-huh. a long, long time to go away. But uh, so if it's a hay field, I'd be a little bit careful. If it's just rural land, I think that that'd be just fine. You're gonna fight a few weeds, but hey, the price is right.
18: Okay, yeah. I mean, because you know, they, it's all black dirt, you yeah. know, and uh, you know, always go, Yeah, they grow some crops, and mostly most of us cow pasture. Yeah,
0: yeah. No, work and, some compost in, and you'll be just fine.
18: And I got a plant ID. Uh, it grows a very long stemmy, and only. Blooms very early in the spring, blooms yellow, and then it quits blooming. You know, it just, you know, it just, uh, you don't have to flower me you know, the, the leaves on it now. So I'm not even sure what kind it is. Is
0: Is it is it almost like just a little low bedding plant type of plant?
18: No, this, this, uh, the stems, they grow up about 15 foot high.
2: <laughs> oh. It's
18: a real long, thin stem. I mean, uh, and it, uh, how do you say it? Uh, the, the blooms are. I mean, they quit blooming, put it that way. They had yellow blooms.
2: Okay. But it
18: only blooms in the early springs, and then it quits.
0: And, And how tall does it get?
18: Oh, hell, I got one of it's about 10 foot tall. And I kind of tied them all together, right, because they would grow really, really haywire.
2: Hmm.
0: Is it a soft, succulent stem? Does it go away after it's bloomed, or does it have a woody stem there afterwards?
18: All it it does for an eye is just have leaves.
0: Okay. Um, It could very well be there is a plant called Cassia, C-A-S-S-I-A. It also goes by a common name of Senna, S-E-N-N-A. You might look that up um there are a couple of trees the one they call palo verde more commonly called the uh, parkinsonia um is another possibility and then of course we've got we but it doesn't really sound like we i i would look up cassia i would look up parkinsonia and see if either of those look like it because they're early brings spring bloomers and then they're just foliage for the rest of the year
18: yeah well most of the plants i got i have no idea what they are you know just give it to me or i see something on the side of the road that looks interesting and i dig up
0: well as long as it makes you happy it doesn't matter what the name of it is but uh um anytime you want to find out uh take a picture bring it by or you know if you can do a good description like that we can probably always tell you what it is
18: okay bob i thank you very much and you have a very really pleasant day today you
0: do the same et always good to hear from you sir thank you
18: All right, let me get uh, a half-hour break
0: out of the way here, and then we will come back and talk uh, in order with Kay and Ron and with um, whoever's calling in on line number one right now. Don, no lives. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines and uh, checking my time log here. Don't see that anything has changed, so uh, Kay is up first. Good morning, Kay. Hi, Bob. Hi there.
15: Um.
14: In my utility room, uh, I found something. I'm not even sure if I ever opened it. It's called Soap Shield by Gardens Alive. Okay. Uh, Do you know what that is? Probably just an
0: insecticidal soap of some sort. Uh, Very useful against aphids, against, uh, you know, a lot of uh, nuisance insect pests. Uh, Not going to do a lot about uh, old stink bugs, for instance, but... uh, uh, it's just it's a good natural spray, totally safe for uh, people and pets and everything else. So uh, I'm sure it would be more commonly today we have something called Safer's Insecticidal Soap. We also have products that they've mixed Spinosad with that they simply call Spinosad Soap. So I'm sure this is just an insecticidal soap and uh, very safe, very natural. I think we'd probably consider it organic.
14: Underneath the soap shield, it says flowable. Liquid
13: copper
0: fungicide. Oh, okay. Well, then in that case, we are looking at um, the the old copper based fungicides. Copper is very toxic. It's not. Uh, it's not a bad product, but it's something that I sure wouldn't be using very much of in the vegetable garden. I think it's probably something that could be used even to uh, to kill ball moss, but. Um, uh, I again I'm not gonna tell you it's it's a real bad product, but uh nowadays most of the companies have gotten away from using copper because of its toxicity.
15: Okay. All right. Thanks a lot.
0: Well you're certainly welcome. I appreciate the call. thank you. Okay, uh next up is going to be Ron, so good morning, Ron.
10: Good morning, Bob. Morning, sir. I was listening to a caller earlier on your program, and she was asking about uh, how to handle ants invading her uh, hummingbird feeder. Right, okay. Uh, I have a, well, someone taught me a technique that I don't know, maybe you're well aware of. Well, I, tell I me about it. it. I'm,
0: I'm always uh, anxious to learn.
10: <laughs> aren't we all? Um uh, what I do is uh, our feeder is mounted on a pole on top of our deck okay. uh, our deck railing uh-huh. and it has an arm that goes out where the feeders hung yeah, yeah and I don't know how those ants found where that feeder was but <laughs> I had a regular parade of ants constantly yes sir, yes, sir. and uh, this gentleman told me that the procedure he uses which he says has been very successful he takes uh, some wrap, so, um, Saran wrap,
2: mm-hmm.
10: around the pole, and he leaves a corner of it sticking out. So when he wants to take it off, he's got a way to find the end of
0: it. That <laughs> that's always the concern, yes, sir.
10: And then he puts a coat of Tanglefoot. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar. I don't know if you're familiar with that oh, or yeah. not.
0: Tanglefoot is. It it is one of the stickiest things you will ever find. I always say it makes axle grease look like hand lotion. Um, <laughs> yeah, we use it on for a lot of different things. We use it to keep cut ants from climbing up trees and things like that. It's uh, and that would be very effective in stopping the ants. Tanglefoot comes in a little uh, tub, like a, oh, almost like a cottage cheese comes in, and it's very useful, but it is very messy and if uh you would not want it up there where say you're your' if it's in an area where your kitty cat or your puppy dog or you might be rubbing up against it because you you'll be scrubbing to get it off of you, but if it's yeah. in an area that you're not going to come in contact with and uh you know then it, it birds are not likely to come in contact with it. It's not toxic in any way it's just so sticky that ants can 't walk across it the uh, one thing I would add to that is uh make it a moderately wide band. You want to have it an inch or two wide at least if it 's just a little narrow band, the ants will throw one of their buddies on into the tar in effect and then just walk right across its back so be yeah, sure well, you 're using yeah, using kind of a little broad uh, inch and a half wide band but yeah, I'm... Uh,
10: yeah. The band I put on is usually about four or five inches wide.
0: Yeah. Well, you're you not going to have you know, any ant It, world it
10: does not. It does not take long for those rascals to build up a barrier of ant bodies, one uh-huh. on top of the other, and pretty soon they're parading right up the pole again. And uh, but uh, that's why with this saran wrap, it's always so darn hard to find the end of a sand.
2: <laughs> You're right. So he
10: folded the corner over so it kind of sticks out for. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's one technique I've used now the last two or three years. and boy, it's, it's worked uh, worked wonderfully.
0: It'll well. work It'll work real well, and I'll tell you, alternatively, it, it may be a little more obnoxious, but uh, aluminum foil will do exactly the same thing, and Hello. it's a lot easier to find the corner on aluminum foil, but you yeah. may not like yeah. the reflectivity of it. But, uh, yeah, you're doing exactly the right thing, and uh, Tanglefoot's uh, very, very useful and very, very safe.
10: Yeah, and there was a lady that called, or a gentleman, I guess it was, that called in about a yellow flowering shrub or something.
0: It was a tall tree-like plant, as I understand it.
10: Okay, so it wouldn't have been a forsythia or
0: something. No, forsythia doesn't do real well here. I lived in Albuquerque for a portion of my growing up years, and boy, we had beautiful forsythia there. Um, but uh, we're just not cold enough for forsythia. But, no, the, what this gentleman was talking was uh, was something totally different.
10: Yeah, our forsythia bushes here are really blooming out right now. And
0: now, you don't have forsythia. Where Where are you?
10: I'm up in Branson, Missouri.
0: Okay, yes, sir. You enjoy your forsyth- forsythia, and uh, us uh, Texans will grow our primrose jasmine and pretend that it's forsythia.
10: Okay. <laughs> Okay. Well, thanks, Bob. Good talking to good you.
0: Good to talk to you, Rod. I appreciate the call, sir. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. Uh right. Let's see here. Let's uh who's who's next? Just got to get my numbers here just right, and it looks like Carol barely beat Maggie. in. good morning, Carol. Good morning. Good morning.
19: I, uh, a while back, I was fermenting some garlic honey. Uh huh. And I got some on the honey on the paper towel, so I remembered. Years ago, you said that plants love sugar. Right. And um, so I threw the paper towel out in the garden. And about an hour later, I had about 50 or 60 bees on that
0: <laughs> right paper towel. Yeah.
19: So uh, my question is, last year I had a hard time with my cucumbers being pollinated. Right. If I put some honey on a paper towel and put it out there by my cucumbers, would that work? I mean,
0: It certainly will draw the bees. I don't know that I would use something as disposable or as as biodegradable as a paper towel. You know, the nice thing about honey is that it doesn't ever get moldy. It has a natural antifungal material in it, but uh, you can use straight honey. You could use a little bit of honey water, but I'd put it in a, you know, you could use anything like a plant saucer or something like that and just rinse it out, clean it out periodically, and uh, you'll be fine.
19: Oh well, that's good. Okay, now earlier you were talking about molasses in the hand sprayer, the mm-hmm.
2: sprayer
0: on the on the hose. Yeah,
19: or was that liquid molasses?
0: Always or? liquid molasses. Dry molasses does not dissolve. That's a common okay. misconception. Dry molasses is not granular molasses. It's uh, it's molasses that's been soaked into corn cob or or cane sugar cane or sometimes. Uh, you know alfalfa or something like that. So, uh, yeah, you don't want to put that in your sprayer. You'll have a lot of cleaning out and unstopping to do. You always use liquid molasses in your sprayer.
19: Okay. Now, the uh, when you're planting seeds, do you use some kind of root stimulator or anything? Because I plan I'm just new at the seed thing, and mm-hmm. I mine don't have very much roots. Well,
0: you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't really say a root stimulator, but I am going to use a, um, a, you know, a good soil mix. I I soak my seeds in a little bit of something called garret juice to get, just to get them sprouted. But as soon as they have sprouted, I start following up with just a good liquid fertilizer, like has to grow or something like that. But um, uh-huh. I just, I mean, before they even have true leaves, while well, they still have just the uh, cotyledons or seed leaves on them, then, uh, I will, uh, then I'll I'll use something like has to grow, and it certainly will make for a better seedling. The other thing is plenty okay. of light. You've just got to give, growing anything from seed, you've got to have lots and lots of light so you get a good stocky little plant instead of a spindly plant that never develops well.
19: Okay. All right, and then one last comment on... Uh, my mother was a way ahead of her time in the 50s. She was all gone, organic and everything. And, we, you know, back then we made a lot of homemade ice cream.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Making me hungry salt, thinking about it.
19: Yeah, that salt water in the – she would always pour that salt, rock salt, salt water along the fence or anywhere mm-hmm. she didn't want grass or anything. So sure. that's – for some people, that's, a, that's an easy, cheap – um, weed oh, yeah. killer
0: yeah and uh, you know in biblical times that's how uh armies destroyed civilizations as they poured they plowed salt into the fields because then their crops wouldn't grow uh, i you know i would not do it over the roots of your oak trees or things like that but no good old good old saline high saline briny water will certainly kill things and keep things from regrowing there and uh we just don't make enough uh uh, hand crank ice cream anymore to do that a lot but no it's it's perfectly the safe
19: salt, the sack of it is just cheap you oh can, yeah yeah <laughs> some,
0: yes it is
19: uh, along the fence or you know where they where they anything else right okay well that does it all i enjoyed listening to you
0: well i enjoy the enjoy the conversation and the suggestion you get out and have a good sunday all right we'll finish up the show today with uh, maggie and with betsy good morning maggie
20: well, good morning.
0: Morning. Uh,
20: I was at Wild Birds Unlimited yesterday, and also at your beautiful nursery yesterday.
0: Well, I'm glad you weren't self quarantining. <laughs>
20: uh, yeah, well, I, I watched my distance. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, that's so uh, we all do. I, I wiped down the counter here in the studio before I started today.
20: Yeah, oh, there you go. All right, that's a great thing. All right, I um, I've gotten mixed up on the use of cornmeal and corn gluten meal. Would you give me a 101 on when to use
0: and what for those two okay. little rascals? Cornmeal, whole ground cornmeal, supports the growth of a beneficial fungus called trichoderma. Trichoderma will wipe out anything from toenail fungus to athlete's foot to ringworm on animals to oak wilt in your oak trees, uh, black spot on your roses. We use cornmeal uh, either just sprinkled around dry, and uh, then we just water it to, so to speak, activate the trichoderma. Sometimes we soak the cornmeal in water and then use that, what we would call just a corn water tea, you know, as a spray for things like black spot or to dump over the, you know, near oak, near roots of oak trees for oak wilt prevention. But in, in general, cornmeal is used to support trichoderma fungus, which knocks out a lot of damaging fungi. Corn right. gluten meal, on the other hand, is the protein components that's left over after they pull all the uh, corn syrup out of corn. And it is fairly high in nitrogen. Some people use it as a fertilizer. I think it is overrated as a pre-emergent. It's often advertised as a pre-emergent herbicide, which means uh, you know you're trying to stop the weeds before they get started. It may work well in other parts of the country, but I just have never had real good luck with it here. Uh, You put it on before the weeds sprout in the spring. It doesn't keep the seed from sprouting, but when the seed sprouts, it keeps the weed from developing a root system. So then hopefully it will shrivel and die. It's just that on something like sticker burrs, you'd have to apply it four or five times through the season and if we have a real drizzly wet period after you put it down, then it's not effective at all because the seed just sits there uh, until the appropriate point at which corn gluten meal breaks down, and then it starts forming its uh, its root system. So I have a lot of use for corn meal, not much use for corn gluten meal down here.
20: All right. So the corn meal would be the one that you use for oak wilt.
0: Yes, ma'am. And we use that. We used to sprinkle it out over the root zone and uh, then add a little compost or manure or something. Uh, The latest research by uh, the arborist uh, out there tell us that you can soak, uh, use a lot less cornmeal. Soak a couple of cups of cornmeal in about a five-gallon bucket of water. Let it soak overnight and then simply pour that. Within 10 feet of the trunk on your oak trees, uh, a tree up to a few inches in diameter, one bucket's probably enough. A big tree, you'd probably do two or three or more buckets. Do that about every six months.
20: Okay. All right. Good. Now, my next question is, I cleaned out my pool the other day, you know, all the leaves and so on. One of my skimmer buckets had about 50 of what I call the little black june bugs. Uh-huh. And so it's time for... I don't time for beneficial go nematodes.
0: On. Yeah, time for beneficial yeah. nematodes on your grass. sure is. Well,
20: time for that. Okay, and I didn't pick those up yesterday, so I'll have to go back.
0: Then we'll you just know. have the pleasure of seeing you again. Maggie, I appreciate it. Let me get Betsy in here okay, before the you. end of the show. Good morning, Betsy.
7: Betsy. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, is there any disease that the red oaks get that is not oak wilt? We've oh, discovered. yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we've got one that... Out here, and I've noticed them around town. Other people have had leaves not falling off of their red oaks.
0: Now, that's not Uh, a disease. That's normal. That's normal. It's called marquescence. and some red oaks hold their leaves until the leaves come out in the spring.
7: Okay, but what about the fact that it's like a a third of the tree, and it looks like it's from the bark, it looks like it may be dying. But then there's another little one on down the hill here, and it's got one branch that has the dead leaves still
0: on it. Well, I I wouldn't judge too much by the leaves yet, Um, and it may be that it's true it is very similar. Sometimes if a a tree, a limb will basically die and the leaves will remain attached to it, but Uh um, red oaks, while they are susceptible to oak wilt, they're also kind of a wimp of a tree, and if they stay too wet, uh, it's usually harder on them than getting too dry, but keeping them too wet leads to various things. They sometimes get a disease called hypoxylon canker. And sometimes, you know, they're just various things that will affect them. But I wouldn't judge too much. I, you know, three, four weeks from now, um, you should have new leaves coming out on all the healthy limbs on the tree. Anything that hadn't come out in that part probably is a dead limb and may be removed. But it's not a okay. sign of an overall disease.
7: Okay, okay. You've uh, taken a worry off my mind. I thank you well, very much.
0: <laughs> you are certainly welcome.
7: just see all we got to have the arborist. we got to do Yeah, business.
0: no, no. I wish all problems oh, we were that easy day. to solve. Betsy, I
7: appreciate we, we, it. We all love you, Bob Webster.
0: <laughs> You're so kind, and I certainly love okay. you guys. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye. Goodbye.